friends, hello, this is Kirsty and welcome to Mental Notes from My Minivan, episode two. I just want to be so effusive in my thanks right now um, and I hope it comes across that way because that is how I'm feeling. I'm so grateful to those of you who tuned in last week and um, of course you are tuning in today um, and also just offered me words of encouragement, contacted me in some way after you listened to let me know you did and to just really offer kind encouragement that was um, really meaningful to me I think I mentioned um, in the podcast itself that this was going to be um, this real exercise in letting go um, for me because I have the perfectionism and the procrastination that accompanies it and that can actually become quite paralyzing and really stop me from doing the things I want to do which are actually really accessible and and easy enough to do. Um, So that actually turned out to be more of a baptism of fire in that exercise than I anticipated Um, because due to some kind of technical error, no doubt on the part of the user, I um, lost the ability to edit in any way. So I never anticipated um, having this highly polished and overproduced edited sort of podcast going out to the world, especially not as I was just beginning. But I did sort of envisage being able to at least listen to it before it went live. And you'll hear in the podcast that I was saying, okay, we need to take out this part because it's very, very redundant or it's really rambling or what have you. So I thought that would be easy enough to at least chop things out. But no, um, it was either I put it out there in the world or I delete it and start over. And because I sort of had a self-imposed deadline on that day as the exercise for getting over myself, um, out into the world it did go. Very, very rough and completely unedited. And it was so kindly received. And that really made a big difference to me. I'd like to believe um, the best of myself that when I say, you know what, I'm doing this to help other people. And if it means just one person listens and they take one tiny thing away that makes their life a little bit easier or more pleasant, then, you know, job well done. Um, That's the goal. Um, But having, you know, more than my immediate family listening and then getting good feedback from that, um, it definitely made coming back today to record um, episode two that much more fun to anticipate and so you made a difference to me and I don't think we should ever underestimate how much um, just kind of encouraging words or just participating in something that other people are really interested in um, how far that can take people how much that can lift them and in, and just sort of encourage them to keep going and certainly when I had so many insecurities present about that particular that effort um it was just really really comforting and also a really nice way to end that that little lesson I treated myself to because inadvertently because you know it just proves you know it may not work out the way you always imagined and it may be way way rougher but at the end of the day nobody died and nobody said anything terrible to me and even if they did I was happy that it was done So there you go. Thanks so much for being a part of that. 
Um, and thanks for coming back, if you did, or for joining us for the first time today. Yay, thank you. Um, today's uh, podcast, I think what I'm going to do is, I, you know, I've sort of been thinking about how I'm going to approach this. And because people have been so so awesome and generous about saying, you know, I'll be on, I, I, you know, and I know some really interesting, amazing people who, who inspire and fascinate me. And I'm so excited to have them on. Um, when it's going to be episodes um, with just me, though, I think my best approach, just considering when I've put things out into the world in the past, when I've been very strategic about it, and I've tried to give people what I think they want, um, it hasn't resonated very well in the past. And when I'm kind of organic about it, and I just really talk about what I'm pas- passionate about at any one time, or that's really on my mind, it seems like there's kind of, the, the, it's what's in the air, you know, it's what other people need to hear, or at least maybe more likely, it's the fact that I am genuinely passionate about it, and I'm more compelling um, in my delivery. So either way, being organic works for me best. And so today I just want to talk about a few things that have been on my mind in the last week due to some observations I've had and um, one particular experience I've had, which was very difficult. And then, of course, you know, all those anecdotes and observations also lend themselves to talking about other topics and things that have happened in the past. So let's see how that goes. Um, as you know, the weather is a, a very... <laughs> pressing detail in my life and many people's lives this time of year especially when we think it should be spring I talked about this last week where I'm not particularly um, graceful in my approach to it not being spring when the calendar says it should be spring and how that actually triggered a very dramatic move one (laughs) one year um, when it snowed in April or there was an ice storm. So of course it's April and everything's um, dreary. And um, that comes as no surprise if you're listening from anywhere in the Midwest or, you know, thereabouts. We're all kind of having a rough go of it this year, as probably we do every year this time. But last weekend was particularly... um, Ugh, it was really dark, dreary, raining, cold. And I was lying in my daughter's bedroom on her bed and her lights were off and it was kind of really dull and ugh. And I said to her, oh, what is the weather report for the next week? Because this just is, this has got to stop. And she agreed. Um, she's out in the elements a lot more than I am lately because she she does soccer and outdoor season has begun. So she asked, you know, the little Alexa thing, hey, Alexa, when will we see the sun again? And Alexa said, you know, very politely with enough of regret in her voice to not sound like a robot. I'm very sorry. I do not know. And she then asked Alexa for the 10 day or the week forecast. And Alexa went on to um, really dig deep into her weather thesaurus Um for ways to tell us that it was going to essentially be incredibly crappy um, with no break for the foreseeable future. Um, She, you know, found different ways to talk about cloud cover, which were quite impressive. An abundance of clouds, 
extremely dreary. More clouds. And, you know, instead of just going, it's crap, it's crap, it's crap. Expect rain, snow, ice, crap, and mostly gray. Um, she just, you know, she really became quite lyrical in her description of clouds. One must give Alexa her dues. So we just, we had to laugh, you know, because we wanted to cry. And I'm not going to lie, it actually gave me a real moment, like a pang of true desperation. I felt almost claustrophobic because I was thinking, you know what, I, I really need to see the blue sky exists and the sunshine exists beyond this gray. I need to see that there's a space between the ground and the sky, which is not gray. That, I, that feels like a physical need right now. I don't think I can do this. <laughs> and I was just like on the verge of even hyperventilating. You can talk yourself into getting in a state about anything, right? Wrong? You're telling me you don't do that? I do. I mean, I am like drama on a stick. <laughs> I can talk to my, I can talk myself into a frenzy quite quickly. So I was like, I don't know, I just don't know. And then, you know, my mom voice kicked in and was like, okay, look, like, pull yourself together. For goodness sake. Um, These are clouds. Like, nothing is going to harm you in this situation now. Just pull it together. Remember, you've got your happy lamp. So you're going to hit that thing hard this week. And I was like, sure enough, I I will and I have been. Um. By the way, the happy lamp, if you have any kind of signs of seasonal affective disorder or just the fact that the sun is not, you know, showing itself a lot in your neck of the woods, it's worth the investment, my friends. Um, I got mine about, oh, 10 years ago and the very same type model make it looks exactly the same it's probably got improvements is on amazon now for about half the price it's probably under 40 bucks it's really affordable look for ten thousand lux i always tell people it's not therapeutic unless you see ten thousand lux or more somewhere on you know when they're giving the little blurb about what you're getting and it's it's a game changer so if you're like really lethargic getting very depressed, uh, craving nothing but carbs, and to be very, very still. Basically, you feel like your body and mind want to go into hibernation. It's worth the bucks just to do that. And it just sits very neatly wherever you are. And while you eat your breakfast in the morning or check your social media or whatever, you get your hit, and it really is a game changer. Um, so I kind of comforted myself with that. But then something else kicked in that I um, was really adept at as a kid. Um, I had a lot of anxiety and I, I dealt with um, depression, true depression, I think, from a really young age. Um, and then a good portion of my childhood was marked by some, you know, significant trauma, uh, that I, an ongoing thing that I didn't understand how to process. And so I... Um, kids are really resilient. You know, if they don't know how to deal with trauma or whatever, they'll figure out some way to just keep going. Um, in many ways, they're actually really somewhat better at it than, than adults are because they don't know any other options. So my thing was, when I was going through all of that, I convinced myself that every other day um, was my lucky day. 
that was like extraordinarily lucky that, you know, really good things were coming my way at least every other day. And then the days in between could be bad days or neutral days, but every other day was like an, a lucky one. And I went on with that kind of experiment for, for some years. I remember being a young teenager still doing my every other day little exercise. And of course, when you think that and you truly believe it, you're looking for things to prove that it's your lucky day. Even if things are, you know, just the same as they were the day before, possibly even worse, any good thing you kind of um, make larger in your mind and that proves self-fulfilling prophecy, okay? So I was good at that. And it really helped me, you know, get on with my life and get things done and, and you know, move through depression, be functional at least. So, um, and I, I kind of wish I'd stuck with that delusion because really, I mean, if every other day is your lucky day, you never really can spiral into a place where you can't get out of bed. Um, I think I got wise to it, you know, in my older teens um, and realized, you know, what I'd been doing. And, and that's kind of, it's a shame <laughs> because it worked out really well for me. But I, I was, was able to kind of employ that sort of strategy again this last week when I, I thought to myself, well, look, okay, so clouds in and of themselves are just not a problem. Um, we're not loving them, um, but, you know, I've got ways to combat the physiological, you know, damage it can do to my, my mind and what have you. So um, let's just look at, you know, attitude-wise. When have clouds signaled good things for me? And I thought about it a bit, and I was like, you know, at the end of, um, you know, the summer season when you're ready for fall and, you know, late October and stuff, things start to become quite dark. It's not depressing um, because you've got that festive season coming up and it sort of signals the beginning of that. And you're ready to get into your house and hunker down and um, get cozy. And if you don't live on Instagram, um, there's this trending sort of thing called uh, huga, which I think is a um, Danish word. Is it Danish? Maybe Danish. What are Scandinavian countries? Um give us hygge, which is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. And you'll see hashtag hygge all over the place. And basically, it's just a word for being cozy with your people, <laughs> really, you know, taking, going inside and being cozy with your people and making the most of that time that you have to be together. In whatever circumstances you are, um, adding cozy elements and just really connecting with people. And we, I think, tend to naturally do that. As the holiday seasons approach, we we feather the nest, we get our houses decorated for them. And we, you know, I tend to buy a new cozy blanket or pull those ones out of storage that we already have and light more candles. And we, in December, we decorate trees and, you know, we add lights and, and things, you know, menorahs and all sorts of things across, you know, uh, uh, religious holidays. We're all, it's, you know, lights, lights are a big deal. And that's how we respond to the winter and the dark and the dreary. And, we get together and we we have parties and you know in December our um our family tradition every single night in fact we get together we make a time where we turn off the tv and we turn on music and we make sure the fireplace is going I light lots of good smelling candles and we have hot chocolate together and we read a book by the light of the tree and it's incredibly cozy and lovely and we love it it is our 
one of our most cherished traditions and even our son who's in college tries to come home as many nights as possible in December so he can be a part of it you know we're reading kids books but they're familiar and they're fun and it's just a something we really enjoy and then as you know uh, the holidays abate and we're looking at January we kind of pack all that away and we're excited for the new year and to have a clean fresh start but then we've got not a lot that we're kind of focusing other than spring you know we want spring to come and we're done with the snow and we're done with the clouds and let's face it there's a lot of time and a lot of bad weather between January and May when the sun becomes more of a thing that we can count upon and strangely you know we kind of tend to abandon that idea of really kind of hunkering down and enjoying our homes and I'm not as diligent about the candle lighting and making sure we have, you know, nice, yummy, warm drinks to drink together and making sure that the living room is cozy and everybody has access to nice soft blankets and, you know, that we're doing things intentionally around being cozy and being together and enjoying the fact that we're together and not spread in many different directions or mowing and gardening and doing all the things that take our time in the summer. And so I thought, okay, look, you know, nothing's changed except the calendar. The weather's still the same. There's no reason why I can't take that same approach. And let me kind of re-up my dedication to making my home very cozy while the weather is still making that something that we can enjoy. And so, you know, I even went so far as to think, well, you know, I bet like winter clothes are in clearance now, so I could probably get myself a new sweater or something like that to make it so that it's not the same old things that I'm wearing and then I'll have something nice to wear that I don't have to pay a lot of money for next winter. Just, you know, these little mind games, these little Pollyanna kind of things. I'm not sure why everybody looks down and says, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here because Pollyanna was happy and popular, right? Like, why do we always go, not to be Pollyanna about it? Well, maybe Pollyanna had the right idea. I mean, Pollyanna, like, is known for being Pollyanna because she really worked hard and intentionally in difficult circumstances to find the good and the bright light and she was happy despite whatever was going on in her life and people around her were happy and I mean I dimly remember the movie but it seemed like it changed the whole town and everybody was better off because of it so you know mind games can can be really positive and you know we can we can use them really effectively just changing our approach to circumstances that's not a big revelation we all know this we all know you know attitude is everything and everything but those are some ideas for how you might make the next few agonizing weeks where we really are desperate um, for spring to properly kick in move more quickly and pleasantly Maybe something like that works for you. It's working for me, I gotta say. Um, I'm not as furious, at, you know, every morning, this morning I woke up and was like, oh, look, snow. <laughs> Instead of getting in a rage and, and the whole thing spiraling as to why do I live in this hell hole? And, you know, that's hard on um, my husband, apart from anything, because this is where where his job has brought us. And, you know, when I have to when there's no way out of the situation, you know, there's always has to be somebody to lash out at a, 
because of it, which is completely unfair. So I think he really appreciates my Pollyanna approach whenever I can access it. Um, okay, so, so what other, oh, so some other kind of exercise mind game that I, that I was able to play, not actually a, a mind game. I happened to be at my daughter's school volunteering this week. And my son was at his school and he contacted me to let me know that he needed something kind of right then. And so I had to travel the very small sort of negligible, it's under 10 minutes drive at the most and distance between the two schools and my home is in the middle. And for some reason that day, I decided to, to look to see how many people I actually recognized in the surrounding neighborhood, you know, on these streets that I, I, I drive on every single day, sometimes more often than once a day, um, because I always make reference to this living in this small town, living in this tight community. And I say it really flippantly. And, you know, honestly, it just feels like wherever I go, I see people I know, which is really charming um, and nice um, for the most part. Um, I also would actually have to interject that the only time I feel the acute lack of seeing anybody I know is after I've just had my hair done and everything's looking fabulous. And then I want to see people I know because it's such an unusual thing for me to be having a really good hair day. And then, of course, there will be a complete dearth of humans in town. I not only will see nobody I know, I will see nobody. It's a ghost town. I mean, if I go to a store... I'll have to use self-checkout because a cashier isn't even available to see my hair. You know, I'm forced. I'm forced to <laughs> turn to the internet with a selfie of the masterpiece of my hair that my, my stylist Gretchen has created for me. So anyway, apart from when my hair is done, I seem to see somebody I know wherever I go. But this time I'm like, well, is, that, is that really true? Like how many people am I going to see today? I don't know why. And so as I'm driving, I'm looking out the window, and, and, and the weather was actually decent, um, as decent as, you know, it gets. And it was around noon, so a lot of people were walking around the hood, and they were kind of just strolling, and I'm looking at the faces, really sort of seeking to recognize somebody. And I'm stunned to see that none of these people look remotely familiar to me. And I know that can't be so. I know I have to have seen these people because we live on adjoining streets and there's not a lot of space to move around around here. And I saw a guy who was a runner um, kind of around my age and he was a great runner, like above average, looking semi-elite in his running. He had great form and he was moving. And I am a runner, not a really great one by any stretch of the imagination, but I admire good runners and I notice them particularly when they're kind of in my age group because, you know, that's something relatable and like even more impressive because, you know, if it's not a teenager or somebody on the college team running by, it's something like, wow, you know, it's cool to see people who are in their early 40s or whatever just cranking it out as though they're 17. It's really impressive and cool. And I hadn't even noticed this guy before and I'm like, what the heck? I am blind to, uh, you know, most of the population in this town. I see all these adorable families and, you know, cool-looking, interesting people walking around. I'm like, 
this is crazy. I have lived here for 14 or coming up on 14 years now. And I don't know most of my neighbors. Like, what is going on? And there's a song by The Doors that says, um, people are strange when you're a stranger. That I've really always, that's, those words have resonated with me. Because when you go somewhere where you feel uncomfortable or you feel unfamiliar, um, you know, the faces tend to just kind of look harder to you or just look unfriendly to you if you're feeling that sense of insecurity. And I thought, you know, these people don't look strange to me, but I feel like a stranger in my own town right now. I'm like, where have I been? <laughs> this is weird. Um, it's, and it's sad, you know, that people have just been a generic blur to me because I've not taken the time to really look. And I thought to myself, I've got to resolve that this summer. I have got to get to know my neighbors who aren't my immediate neighbors better. And we could have a really cool community around here. People seem cool. You know, there's a lot more awesome people than I realized around here you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do better so I felt pretty good about that then on the way home I'm looking at the houses I'm like well let me see how many houses you know I'd be able to pick out of a lineup if we weren't in my town um, you know if they just kind of were like lined up in photographs like do you recognize this house and most of them I'm gonna say most of them I would not be able to it's not that they're nondescript some of them are perfectly charming and really cute and people had made an effort with them and I just you know I see the houses that I know or that I know people who live in them and I really note them and the rest of the time I'm just like going along my way thinking other thoughts and they're just invisible to me and that made me think about how when I give directions to people to my home um I give a street that everybody knows about and I say once you turn off that street you'll turn onto our street and you should see our house immediately from the corner. Um, we are the ones with the, the robin egg blue door and the shutters and there's a big tree you know and especially when it's not the never-ending winter it's easy to see we have really bright flowers in the flower bed and I think it's really distinctive from the corner I see it immediately right and most more often than not people will go hmm Okay, well, just give me the number and I'll, you know, put it into my phone and Siri can find you. And I'm thinking, really? Like, you haven't noticed my house before? Like, you live around here? That's weird because to me it looks obvious. And then I realized after this little experience that I'm basically a five-year-old. Like, I see the world like a five-year-old is. I'm so self-absorbed. Uh, sort of I'm like, that's my house. You know, when I, drive, when I drive around the corner, you know, all I can see is my house. And I, I just... I had to laugh. I'm like, of course, it's so distinctive to me. You know, of course it is because it's my house. Those aren't robin egg blue shutters and door. That is Kirsty blue. You know, that's the blue I invented with the uh, when I went to Home Depot because I couldn't find the right blue. And me and the little paint man sat and, you know, mixed up a blue that I liked. And that's Kirsty blue now. And I hand painted those shutters and that door and it took me ages one summer and you know we've planted all those plants together as a family in that in that flower bed and the people that live in that home are my most cherished people and my most prized possession that being my bed is housed in that home and when I'm tired and sad or glad or sick or exhausted you know 
that's where I want to go. And so of course it shines like a beacon. Of course it's everything else falls away when I turn onto my street because that's where I'm aiming. That's where I live. Okay. That's my house. And it was just like such a ridiculous and obvious kind of revelation for me. You know, we see where we live because that's where we need to be. That's where we want to be. And I thought it really was an interesting way of looking at needs in our relationships with other people. You know, we come from places where our house is so visible to us and we believe it should be visible to everybody. And of course, with our proper communication, um, that, that leads to so many conflicts. And even with good communication, we really, I think, have to make intentional efforts to be like put ourselves in the the shoes of somebody else. You know, I notice the houses, like I said, I notice the houses of people I love and where I've been there and I've had a good time and have positive associations. Um, So when I drive past them, I think, ah, there are those friends' house and, you know, smile to myself. And that house looks particularly warm and welcoming. Um, You know, and I want, I, I notice it and I want to be there too. But if we're just oblivious to other people's homes, um, we miss out on a lot, I think. And I don't know. I, I, I had an example and I, I sort of vacillated as to whether I wanted to use it you know, in the podcast because this isn't actually an issue in my own life. And um, I'm not saying that by any means to brag because I have a million other issues and, and conflicts and issues and problems in my life. But... Um, this particular one is not something that I, is a difficulty because, because my husband is particularly good at this. And so I want to give him that credit where it's due and not, um, by any means make you think that I'm making some kind of passive aggressive, um, dig at him by, by using this example. And I actually even cleared it with him and he said, no, go ahead. This is a great example because it affects a lot of people. So I'm just going to go with it. Um, it's like women to it's it's really cliched and done because it is a it is a thing okay so without further ado women um being really hung up on the state of the house okay and and they just you know they they see what needs to be done around the house they more often than not you know women are kind of leading the charge on that and sometimes that can get really overwhelming and and they can feel alone in that and if the house isn't together or it's just really falling apart then it's a lot sort of more common for a woman to feel like life in general is falling apart. She just does not feel on top of things. And when she's not getting the help in that regard, um, that can feel like her partner is not a team player, is not supporting her, maybe doesn't love her or acknowledge her needs as much. And, And she can start to feel really lonely and isolated in that relationship. And at the same time, maybe her spouse is feeling a real lack of physical intimacy in the form of sex. And he's going, whoa, you know, like, I really, really would like to have sex more often. And here we are, um, you know, this woman is just genuinely hung up on things that I think we could let go and, you know, save the time and the energy and just, you know, like have more intimacy with each other. And so the two of them are sort of have in their own worlds, in their own houses, so to speak, of need. Um, when, you know, after dinner, maybe they're washing the dishes and he's helped her with the dishes and then the dishes are done in his mind. 
And he goes and he sits down and is kind of relaxing and unwinding. And in her mind, she's just moving on to phase two of the kitchen perfection project. You know, she's now wiping the counters and, um, and getting into things that he thinks are just, you know, come on now. What is she doing right now? Is she like washing a wall? Like what the hell, you know? Is she scrubbing the count, you know, the, the cabinet fronts? Like, what is going on here? We finally have a moment together. The kids are finally asleep. Why isn't she just chilling with me and sitting on the couch and cuddling and maybe getting to the point where we could have some sex for a change? Like, what's going on? Why is this her priority over mine? And she's sitting in the kitchen or stewing in the kitchen as she scrubs going, this dude is so clueless, you know, I am exhausted. Doesn't he know that I would rather sit on the couch too? But once the kids come tomorrow and we add cereal to these, this fiasco, this thing is just going to like completely um, escalate into total chaos and everything is just going to fall apart and I, I just don't even know. And he's just being like, holy smokes, you know, if if scrubbing the walls and the kitchen cabinets are more important than me, you know, I, I just don't even know. Like, this is this is not what I signed on for. OK, so honestly, you know, th- those those houses are both valid needs. Both of them are valid needs. And what's also important to note is that if all the houses that I didn't notice in this neighborhood were to suddenly burn down or termites got them and they had to be condemned or honestly, even if they were foreclosed on and everybody had to move out, I would suddenly notice those and not in a good way. I would notice the lack of them and it would be bad. I mean, my kids' friends would be moving out of the hood. I would have um, businesses that I relied on and enjoyed wouldn't be able to sustain themselves. They would have to close. Um, Schools would have to close. The neighborhood, um, the, the property values would drop. I would notice them in their absence. So the things that I didn't notice before um, would suddenly become very, very meaningful to me. And it would, it would become very personal in a bad way. And just the same as other people's needs not being met um, doesn't mean it just affects them when they aren't in a relationship. Because if she has had to suddenly go, okay, let's focus entirely on your needs. After the kids are in bed, we'll do nothing. We will do nothing but hang out and cuddle and, you know, have sex and we'll never wash dishes. I just don't even care. I just don't even care. Um, That would become a very uh, sketchy situation very quickly and nobody in the family would thrive under those circumstances. He wouldn't like it. Nobody would like it. (coughs) Excuse me. And if the same were to happen, if he were to completely... um, become disinterested in sex with her, um, other problems would quickly arise in the relationship, um, whether it was, you know, having that need met elsewhere or her just suddenly feeling like he doesn't even care. He doesn't even try anymore. I'm not attractive anymore. What's going on? Um, That would be bad for the dynamic of their relationship and in turn, the dynamic of the the whole family. And so, you know, those needs not being met by the other um, does affect the family as a whole, the relationship as a whole, the organization as a whole, whether or not it's between uh, husband and wife, spouses of any kind, or uh, teenagers and parents or co-workers or boss and um, subordinates. If people aren't meeting each other's needs, the whole relationship um, or the organization eventually gets on really shaky ground. 
So that was kind of this weird, silly little observation that led me to really look at how much of my relationships am I taking, um, you know, sort of other people's needs for granted because I'm so blinded by my own house. I'm so like focused on my own house that I don't see the houses of my neighbors and how, you know, maybe they could do with a little help with snow shoveling or mowing of grass or whatever, so to speak. Um, so anyway, maybe, you know, that's something that, that you could consider in your life and see if um, more communication could help with that or just, you know, asking people. Sometimes I just ask my kids, like, you know, how can I be a better mom? Are your needs being met? Are you, you know, maybe not in that those particular words, but like, are you feeling good? Is there more that I could be doing for you right now? And I think that's really meaningful to people just to be asked. I know it really means a lot to me. Like I said at the beginning, it really means a lot when people are engaged in what's important to you. All right, so I want to go into a totally different topic, seemingly totally different topic, which is actually connected to all of this, I think. But about a, a year ago this time, I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you've never heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that's okay, because neither had I um, until soon before, or maybe actually probably several months before I, I did start doing it. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a martial art, um, and it's actually a grappling art. So if you just see it and you're uninitiated in that, um, it looks like people wrestling in, in a really kind of brutal way. And it looks, it doesn't look very um, strategic. It looks sort of just scrambling frantically until somebody gets the better of another. And it looks kind of painful when they do. When they submit them, it's often in a chokehold. Um, and it's mostly on the ground. So why would I do that, um, you may ask? And I had the same question because a psychiatrist actually mentioned it to me when I first started being treated for PTSD. And he, um, he said, you know, a lot of women who have had this type of trauma that you have had um, really benefit from a very deliberate, very deliberately taking on um, having your physical boundaries kind of tested um, when you're in a position of being able to control that and to learn how to become more powerful in that way. So, um, and he told me of one small woman who had a really kind of a very, very severe case of PTSD who had taken on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and become quite accomplished at it. And he just said very proudly, she is now a very tiny and very dangerous little lady. And I found that quite intriguing. So I, you know, investigated. But when I saw, you know, okay, people are like, you, they, they're sweating on each other and they're really close contact. And, you know, your groin is in somebody else's face a lot of the time. And this does not look like me. I'm going to stick with running. Thanks so much. <laughs> okay, so I was like, yeah, that's a definite no from me. Thanks. And then um, a friend of mine, well, actually first, so the running thing, I, you know, that's what I do. That's kind of in my, my comfort zone. And it actually wasn't working out for me. When I got to my, the point of PTSD that I, that I like to refer to as the angry time. <laughs> and, and anybody who follows me on Facebook was really acutely aware of the angry time. Um, I was really angry and, and, and really vocal about it. 
So running wasn't serving me at that time because I kept doing these frantic, angry sprints and it wasn't working it out for me. And I just had the need for some kind of like combat. You know, I knew I needed more. And that's when I started talking to a friend who suggested Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was like, yeah, it just doesn't look appealing. I really don't think so. I also don't like the idea of being choked. What the hell? No. And then um, he was saying, no, but look, it's actually really cerebral. And you can get out of your head because it's, it's, it's like physical chess. In order to um, progress and, and you know, defend yourself and then eventually submit somebody else, you're thinking all the time, two steps ahead right and you have to stay very very calm and very calculating it's incredibly good exercise it's very strenuous but it's also this amazing brain exercise and what's more is that it allows you to use um, you know principles of leverage and um, you know the angles of your body and your own body weight to to defend yourself against much heavier um, more physically powerful um, opponents right which is a really good place, a good skill for um, a smaller person to be, and especially a woman, you know. Um, and most of the attacks that women endure or, or assaults, they end up on the ground. They're on their backs. And to, so the idea of being able to defend yourself very effectively um, against somebody much bigger than you, just using principles that you understand, how to use your body and leverage yourself and use angles and use um, techniques of you know joint locks and and things like that to to both escape a situation and submit an opponent without any kind of brute strength is very appealing right that's an appealing thing to be able to know so I was willing to give it a second look then and um, and so I got started and the thing with um, jiu-jitsu as well is that it's notoriously hard to you know level up as we say to advance ranks very very hard um it takes many years many many years of a very dedicated effort because it's just there's so much to it and so i loved that that was kind of such a metaphor for life there's so many metaphors for life and you know i love a metaphor i love metaphors more than anything and um I've always used running metaphors because they seem to just fit in every possible way. But jiu-jitsu, wow, that's even better, right? Especially um, for a beginner, which is what I still am. I am a white belt of the snowiest, snowiest white you can possibly imagine. And um, I just, you know, I don't bring anything to the mat, so to speak, at the gym, other than I am the person... I'm told smells good okay so I bring smelling good to the mat and very little else but you know just knowing that that's okay and and everybody's down with that because they know how hard it is and how long it takes to progress that's a, it's very um that's very freeing and liberating and I do not mind being humbled over and over again in that because every single time you're humbled you are learning right? As long as you're allowing yourself to be humbled and um, you realize immediately when uh, you need to tap out, okay? So when you've been submitted by somebody, if you tap out immediately, nothing bad can happen to you. 
you can do jujitsu for years and you will be injury free if you're um you know you're working with somebody who knows what they're doing and there's no ego involved and you're just you know and and for me i'm i'm in a good position because i'm usually 20 years older than you know everybody else there and i'm you know the only woman um more often than not and so it's you know it's certainly no i don't bring any ego to the experience and and that's been so good because i learn every single time um i think i've got something down <laughs> i might just have it down right but then if i take it from another angle i i absolutely don't because the person will figure out exactly what you have down in about five seconds and and submit you from another angle and then you have to learn some other way of of defending yourself um and they're always saying to us become uh, become comfortable with being uncomfortable and isn't that a really good way to approach life like that's a really good way to approach life to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's how we learn right um and then to be humble in being submitted by life in being shown where you're really not up to par and immediately submitting to that and going okay let me learn how can i be better how can i approach this in a different way it's when you get really stubborn and you bring ego into it and they you know they have a saying either you'll tap or you'll snap or you'll nap and so if somebody has you in a chokehold submission you're going to eventually um lose consciousness and take a little nap if you do not tap out uh, likewise if they have you in some kind of joint lock if you don't tap out and you um a well and truly submitted you're going to get hurt something might snap or at least get sprained or pulled or it's just going to be painful and why what is the point what is the point of that um, if you've been submitted just tap out learn from it um, figure out a new way of going about it and move along and that's how you learn so I really you know I really like the opportunity to just be constantly challenged in that way and every single th- time I think I've got something down being shown okay yeah maybe in that at that angle or in that perfect circumstance you do but let's look at it from a different angle you know and life's like that life is like that so here's um how it applies to me this week I had um well let me first say that one of my greatest challenges and kind of failings um in my character is um um, I hope you're enjoying the the melodious sound of the the train that moves throughout town right now, if that you're picking that up on the mic. Um, anyway, one of my greatest failings, I know you're all on the edge of your seats now, is that I am prone, probably more than anybody I know, to make assumptions. Um, you might have seen that... Um, that cartoon where there's a, a girl dressed in a superhero costume with a big A on the front saying, anxiety girl can move to the worst conclusion in a single bound or something like that. And that's me, man, anxiety girl, or just conclusion assumption girl. I'm assumption girl, right? Just give me one thing and I will be able to create an entire story around that without any facts. And that is a problem. Um, it's a problem 
in relationships, it's really unfair. If you think that you know what other people mean or what they meant by some innocuous thing, or even what they mean by silence, right? That's an, that's not healthy for relationships. And it's really a difficult way to live as well. It's, a, it's hard to be in your head when you are always leaping to... Look, I don't always, always leap to the wrong conclusion. There have been times, um, or to a negative conclusion, should I say. Um, there have been times where I have been convinced that people liked me more than I thought they did, but they were just doing their job. <laughs> they didn't really like me. They didn't like me at all. They were just being nice or just doing their job. Um, <laughs> but more often than not, it's, it's these negative assumptions being made about myself, about others, about a circumstance. If somebody's late, they're dead, that kind of thing. Okay, so I, I realized that that's how I'm wired have sort of a creative mind and I can and I make up a story or make up a scenario. Um, and I also know that it's a byproduct of, of PTSD and trauma that you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and, you know, because PTSD sort of introduces a, a literal rewiring of the brain and the hormones um, that are passing across that wiring and gives you a lot of extra adrenaline and norepinephrine um, that you can't really use most of the time in your everyday life because you're not being chased by saber-toothed tigers and you're not being under physical attack, um, you know, after the fact of whatever gave you the PTSD. You, you've just got all this sort of tension which leads to chronic anxiety and, and just a lot of headaches for your relationships and yourself and sleeplessness. It's just really unhealthy and hard to handle. So that's something I work with a lot in therapy, um, not jumping to negative assumptions, not making conclusions that, you know, not being so defensive in general in life. Um, and so because I feel like, look, I'm aware of the problem and I'm working on the problem, I was like, cool, you know, I think I'm kind of getting this. I think I'm kind of getting this down. You know, I'm I'm better all the time at taking deep breaths and you know, being like, this might not be what it seems. But then life was like, yeah, you know, maybe you do. Good job. Good job. You know, um, excellent. Well done. How about just for grins, though, we look at this from another angle to see how well you really are doing in this department. And so the last week, um, I had this experience, which was really unpleasant. Um, and even traumatic, that I was in a very, very vulnerable place when somebody made a very major assumption about me. Um, well, major, relatively major in my life at that time, which had some real repercussions, solid repercussions of a negative kind, and there were no winners in this scenario. Um, it was truly upsetting. I felt really um, betrayed, to be honest, trust my trust in um, the person who made the assumptions felt really betrayed. I felt just a lack of um, trust in general in the world and in the way I thought it was set up in my world and in, in, in kind of the organization that the whole thing was affected by. Um, it was grim, miserable, yucky stuff. And I licked my wounds over that for a couple of days and just really felt hard done by and um, 
aggrieved by the whole thing because it just was it was bad it was sad it was just sad like I said nobody went one in in the end um except I guess I I did because I started to recognize whoa 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 how profound the consequences can be when we make assumptions about people based on our own emotional place where we are at that time and I make these assumptions when I'm working from a place of emotion rather than waiting for the facts. And, you know, having it happen to me rather than me doing the assuming, whoa, that was a powerful teacher. And um, I want to tap out of that situation as quickly as possible because that felt bad. And I realized, whoa, I can't, I have got to be so much more vigilant and careful about doing this to the people I care about in my life, you know, doing this to my friends and my loved ones and just mostly to myself, like get out of your head and stop freaking out so much. And that gives you, it frees up so much more space to love people and to just be like, you know, look at their houses and see what their needs are when you're not like constantly figuring out how people are, you know, how you should be defensive or, you know, people might be mad at you or not meeting your needs or whatever. Um, when you're just waiting for the facts to roll in or you just don't care really um, so much about the outcome of our things, you're just really taking things at face value, it frees up so much more energy for you to just be you and to be the best you that you can be and be really helpful to other people. And that's going to make you feel good. One last anecdote before I go about that, really, about how um, I approached one little boy two ways and how it um, had a vastly different outcome. So this is one little boy that I was working with um, on a playground. And on the first day that we encountered each other, it was a miserable, cold, particularly blustery day. And I was feeling sick. I was very tired and just over it. And it was the end of my time there. And I needed to um, get the kids in and safely in so that I could leave. And so of course, this little boy who did not want to go inside that day, um, ceased to be so much a little boy in my eyes as an obstacle to me doing my job and getting my goal of getting home and you know getting in bed and I just was so frustrated um, when he just sort of really solidly stuck to his guns and I said hey would you want to come in and he's like nope and I'm like well your friends are going in and that's kind of the rule so let's do it you know start off all faux cheerful and he was like nope and then I was like, yeah, okay, big guns. We can do this the easy way, kid, or we can do this the hard way. You can just come in. And he's just like, shut up, leave me alone. And I'm like, I'm going to even overlook you being that disrespectful. Um, thinking to myself, little jerk, you know. And of course he can tell that I'm thinking to myself, little jerk. And he's just like, let me, let me be, you know. And I'm just like, Ugh. I'm like, do, you, do I need to get the principal? And he's like, I don't care. You old elderly bitch. I'm sorry if your kids were listening to that, but, you know, from the mouth of babes. And I was like, what? And then he ran away and I had to chase him. And I'm like, of course, I had to prove to him that I was not an elderly person. I might be a bitch, but I was not elderly. 
by like chasing him down and it was just so ridiculous you know um and you know props to that little boy for using the word elderly because you could tell that his parents had said we don't call people old we call them elderly they might have missed the part where you don't call people who aren't old elderly i'm just kidding um maybe you know i could have brought that up but i don't, I don't think my insecurities meant very much to him at that moment or anything else really he just wanted to be outside and um, when he got in, I said, why did it have to get this way? Like, why do we have to be this way together, yo? And he was just like, I'm having a bad day, okay? And I looked at him, and instead of saying, well, why? What's going on? I just said, so am I, kid. And then I got in the car, and I felt so defeated. I just felt so useless and so empty. And I was like, I've never wanted to be a warden. What am I doing? This is, like, such a waste of my time and energy. I don't want to be locking up kids where they don't want to be. I'm just useless here. This is useless. And I felt just devoid of energy and happiness. Really, it was just a really low moment. The next day, I saw the little boy again. And he's sitting on the playground. And he's alone and looking really sad. And I, you know, had more to give that day. And I went to him and said, Hey, buddy, what's going on? And of course, he had not had a pleasant exchange with me before. So he was like, um, go away. And I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, I will give you space if you need space. But you know what? You look really sad to me. And that makes me sad. And I'm here to help you. So if you change your mind, please come along, you know, come over and chat to me. And, I, and if I can help you, I will. Because I do care. And as I walked away, he called after me and said, I have hardly any friends. And the ones I do have don't want to play with me today. And as a mom that, you know, that broke my heart, right? Nobody wants their kids to feel that way. And not just as a mom, but as a human, I know what that feels like. It feels like crap. And I did not want that little boy to feel that way. And I said, I know how that feels. And it feels bad. Um, I'm so sorry. Like, did did you guys have a fight? Do you know why? And he was like, I don't know why. They're just running away from me and I cannot keep up. And I was like, you know what? Do you mind if I go and talk to them? And um, he was uh, he was open to that. He was cool about it. And I said, hey, you guys, can I, can I talk to you guys for a minute? And um, they were like, yeah, you know, they came over. They were kind of curious. And they said... Um, you know, what's up? And I was like, hey, have you guys ever felt left out before? And two of the three um, boys sort of stared at me owlishly, very, very warily. We're like, hmm, why is she asking us these very personal questions in the middle of us playing today? Um, but the one kid piped up and said, yeah, that's happened to me before. And I said to him, right, like me too. It sucks, doesn't it? And he was like, yeah, it really does. And um, I said, you know, our friend over here um, is feeling really left out today. And you know and I know what a bad feeling that is. And he, you know, he nods soberly. And you could see that the others were like, okay, this is where she's going. And I said, well, we have some options, really. Um, you guys can continue, you know, to do your thing and play and what have you. Um, and he can feel left out. Um, or you could actually be a hero today. And I said, you know, often we think it's really hard to be a hero, to be somebody's hero. 
But I know that the people are, who are heroes in my life are the ones who just take time out of their day to see how I'm doing, um, to say, hey, how are you? Or to listen to something I'm interested in um, and give feedback about that or to help me out in some small way. Those are the people that make my life roll along better and sometimes save me from being really, really sad. And to me, that's a hero. And we can so easily be heroes here today. If you guys would include him um, and just make sure that he can keep up with your game today, you would be heroes. You would save recess for him today. And I wasn't saying that, you know, at all in a patronizing way or, you know, trying to like bend their minds or anything. I truly believe that. I believe that we can be heroes in people's life when we just kind of turn their day around by helping them to see that there's humanity out there and people care. Um, and they, they were like, you know, that caught, they caught the vision of that immediately. And they were like, yeah, we can, we can like make sure that he keeps up with us. Come on, let's go. Um, and a little girl that had been walking around kind of shadowing me because at the beginning of recess, I saw her also just not engaged with anyone, just standing there. And I'd asked her, you know, why aren't you, um, doing anything you know why aren't you playing and she said well I'm not really interested in what anybody else does here and I was like that's cool you know you can walk with me it's still good to move your body and and we were talking about what she was reading and she was a cool girl and um she just piped up at the end and said with so much satisfaction in her voice well at least we solved one problem today and you know she really just verbalized how I felt and and just you know even the tone of her voice just sounding so gratified you know we did this we did this um and it wasn't that I suddenly felt like oh gosh I'm just so good with children I'm just such a genius it wasn't that at all it was that I felt like we had participated as a caring community together and maybe I'd facilitated that but there had been grace involved from every individual that little boy who'd had what he'd seen as a really negative, unfair experience with me the day before when he just wanted to escape and he was having a horrible day and I had just been disinterested in his horrible day. I had seen him as an obstacle and he knew that. Kids know how we feel. They're very good at that. Um, you know, even when we act professionally and we act ostensibly kindly, they know when they're truly cared about or not. And he had known that and he was willing to have the grace to forgive me for that and give me a second chance. And that is not a small thing. That is something that, you know, I was really grateful for. And then he was willing to have the, the courage and the humility to go and approach his friends and see, like, how can we fix this? And they were willing to have the grace and engage in empathy, you know, when I invited them to. Um, and then to fix the situation and to include somebody, even though, you know, maybe that put a bit of a cramp in their style, maybe they had to slow the game down or what have you, they were willing to make that sacrifice so that their friend could feel included. And maybe he wasn't even, you know, the most valued member of the group, but they were like, okay, cool, you join our group and do what we're doing and we'll make this happen. And to see all of that um, in action, was so affirming and was so, I just left walking on air that day. I felt like, okay, this is not drudgery. This is not something that everybody could do. This is something that people 
who had a goal to engage and make somebody's life that little bit better can do. And, and I'm really glad I was here today. I feel glad that it was me that was here today um, that got to witness all those good things happening. I felt like I had made a difference. And just a simple little thing, you know, was just me being willing to look at this little boy and look where he lived, look to see what his needs were and, and be genuinely interested. And then all those other people being willing to see where he lived and meet him halfway too made all the difference. Um, so that's what I'm going to leave you with today. You know, we can, with such simple little adjustments, um, have much calmer spaces in our heads to live, um, progress much more quickly through our own recoveries um, and our own problems, have much more rewarding and enriching relationships when we do these things with intention um, or just when we start to see things from different perspective, when we start to see the beauty of other people's homes and, and appreciate them and really just notice them. Um, life just gets better. It just gets better for all of us. Um, and that's that for today. Thank you so much for hanging with me today. Um, as always, please reach out with any ideas, any you know constructive criticism, any if you want to participate, I'd love to have you. Um, just reach out to me. I'm Kirsty um, dot Sayer S A Y E R at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Kirsty Sayer. I am on Instagram as Momedy Kirsty, um, all one word. And you can listen to this podcast through Anchor and also through um, iTunes. And it should be picked up um, by Google Play any day now. So um, tell your friends, please subscribe and and please participate because this is about community and I'm so excited to get to know you all better and and have you as part of the podcast thanks again take care and have a wonderful day bye-bye